It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Good afternoon and welcome to Talent Talk. It's Tuesday. We are live and I'm excited to have two fantastic guests talking about talent. Hopefully, they're going to share a little bit about some of the ways in which they are uniquely talented. and We'll get some awesome stories into what they're doing, uh, where they're going, what they're thinking about. Uh, and that's really what the show is all about, right, is try to really figure out and pick the brains of talented people. And hopefully we can learn something from them that will give us an, an opportunity to grow, give us an opportunity for something to think about, maybe to try out in our organizations. Uh, maybe even it's just a great book suggestion, whatever it may be. You know, a lot of these stories have really been, for me, uh, really changed trajectory of my career, changed trajectory of my uh, companies to really help us be more focused, help our employees uh, be more engaged and perform and have better productivity and all of that. So I, I put a lot of them in my first book, which was a bestseller back in 2018 called The Power of Company Culture. You can check that out wherever you buy your books uh, online. You can uh, find it pretty easily. If you're not, then reach out to me and I'll tell you how to figure out how to, how to get you one. So as I said, Talent Talk is live here every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Uh, most of you come in after the fact, and that's okay. You can Subscribe to us on Podbean. Go to talenttalkradio.com. You can find us on iTunes. Subscribe there, uh, even iHeartRadio. And, you know, that's where we can really get a sense of who's coming in and, and understand our audience. And there's, you know, three million of you a year uh, downloading at least an episode. And we really appreciate the, those of you coming in, listening, engaging with us, asking questions, and being a part of this conversation. Uh, it's really what keeps us going. Uh, we don't, I don't make any money off of being here on talking about talent. I just do it because I love it. I love talking to people and I love that there's so many of you connected uh, to this show. It really brings a smile to my face. You know, if you uh, want to, to get a little bit more involved, we would love to have you go in on Twitter, follow at people G2. You can also follow the hashtag talent talk, my social media maven. I have a new one. Uh, we, we said to say goodbye to our good friend, Sarah. Uh, and uh, Angela has taken over. And so this is actually, I think, her first show. So thank you, Angela. And she's going to be feeding me any questions uh, that may come up during the show. We may, uh, we may uh, even you know, be able to respond. But even if it's after the fact and the show's already happened, you can still go in there. You can look at all the best one-liners. Look at the best book suggestions. You can look at all these things that we're going to talk about during the show and then interact with them after the fact. So uh, we love to do that. Well, today, let's get to, into who's on the show and who we'll be talking to. Uh, my guests on the show today are Rob uh, Stephenson, is a CEO of Form and Founder of Inside Out. And then my uh, second guest will be Tony 
Giffen, president and CEO of Goodwill Industries of San Diego County. So Tony will come in in the second half of the show, but let's go ahead and get to Rob. Rob, welcome to the show. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me. Really good to be here. Yeah. So why don't you tell everyone a little bit about you, who you are, what's important for us to know, what does your company do, and where are you calling in from? That might be interesting as well. Well, absolutely, yeah. It's kind of 9 p.m. at the moment, so I'm calling in from the UK, uh, a village uh, near Tunbridge Wells, uh, which is just outside of London. And um, so I'm a mental health campaigner. Um, I am passionate about inspiring the creation of mentally healthier workplaces and, and societies. And this this issue and this, this mission is really personal to me um, because I experience a mental illness. Um, I'm 48 now, but when I was 30, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And for many years, I learned to manage my condition, but I did so under the radar with only close friends and family knowing because of the stigma of mental illness, a, a fear of being perceived differently by friends, by colleagues, by, by clients. And in the UK in 2017, something really interesting happened. It was our princes, Prince Harry and Prince William, spoke out about seeing a therapist. And this really helped put mental health on the agenda in the UK. And you know what, Chris, I thought, why am I hiding this? Why am I putting the word physiotherapy in my diary every time I go and see my therapist and, and with a team that I kind of love and respect? Um, not only must my team must have thought I have the worst physiotherapist in the world, it just didn't make sense. So I came out and I shared my story, and, and it was sharing that story in a pretty awkward Facebook post that changed my direction from being a headhunter in an executive search and a chartered accountant to being a mental health campaigner. And I decided to see how I could make a difference. And sorry, it's a long-winded introduction, but it all set the scene. I, um, I, st I heard the consistent message that we do not have enough business leaders who are open about their challenges of mental ill health and acting as role models. You know, we've got sports professionals and entertainers, but less so in the way of business leaders. So at the core of what I do is a not-for-profit called Inside Out. And what we do is publish an annual list of senior business leader role models who say, hey, look, I experience mental illness and I'm a CEO or I'm a CFO or I'm a partner in a law firm and it's okay to talk about it. And so we've been doing that now for, for, for three years. So that's the kind of core bit of good that I do. And then I've got another business called Form, which I'll tell you more about, but that's helping people answer that question, how are you today? So where do you think the biggest amount of stigma, you know, sits? Is it that employers are worried that they're going to have a liability? They're going to have someone who's going to be inconsistent? Is that the fear? Is the fear that it's maybe something more violent, right? That somebody might have some sort of a breakdown, right? And they're putting people at risk or is there something else? I mean, where does that, where do you think that the fear starts? Yeah, I think it starts with the individual and, and it's driven by society and how society views mental illness. And so the stigma, I think, is around people fearing that they will be treated differently in terms of career progression, in terms of opportunity, just in terms of how they will be looked at on a day-to-day -day basis. And, and I think that that stigma, that fear will then prevent people from seeking help or even talking about the fact that they, they might have a mental health challenge. And I think organisations at the employer level are, are, are probably more understanding these days that actually, you know, someone with a mental health challenge is not going to, you know, go off the rails and, and you know, cause a lot of problems, but it's really, really common. And I think that the, the liability issue aside, and I know in the US that there are some kind of legal considerations on all of this, what we're finding 
are organizations promoting much more open cultures. Yeah, and, and what I find, you know, sort of, I, I hate to say the word comical, but, you know, I do notice there's sort of this stigma. I do notice that people kind of have this fear and they worry. And yet, they would rather just put their head in the sand and pretend it doesn't exist when, if you just look at statistics, you know, alone, a certain population of their employees are struggling or dealing with something. Uh, some sort of, whether I guess you could categorize into mental health uh, issue, even if it's just anxiety, even if it's just, you know, mild depression, it's not something maybe far more serious, you know, far more serious, not that those things aren't serious, but I mean, there is sort of a, right, there, there are, it kind of goes from easier, easier to deal with to very difficult to deal with. Uh, they would just sort of like to pretend it doesn't exist. And so what are some of the challenges or some of the things that happen when, when we, we go down that path, right, and pretend that no one has these problems and we just sort of, you know, hope that it doesn't ever land up on our desk? Well, I, th- I think if, if you do that, you're, you're A, missing out on one of the biggest performance uh, gaining opportunities in the workplace. And that is because the, the, the biggest cost of mental illness um, in the workplace is actually not people who are off sick. And it's also not people who are leaving jobs and you've got to replace them. The biggest cost is something called presenteeism. And that is where people are turning up to work every day, but are underperforming because they have suboptimal well-being and mental health. Right. So I think I think by, by ignoring the fact that people will struggle from time to time, and, and the pandemic will mean everybody struggles from time to time to one degree or another, we're, we're actually creating cultures that are not high performing because we're not giving people the opportunity to actually maximize their ability to move towards that thriving end of the, of the mental health continuum. So not only is it morally the wrong thing to do because it's preventing people from seeking help for the more serious conditions that you mentioned, but actually for everybody else, it's not creating high performing cultures because I think one of the biggest performance gains we can make is moving more towards thriving and being better able and better equipped and more resilient to handle the, the stress of our jobs. So what does good look like then? You know, we sort of talked about, I guess, uh, the bad is let's pretend it doesn't happen. Let's not think about it. Let's not put anything in place. But what does good look like on your end when you're sort of really being being a fantastic leader and, and really bringing, you know, well-being onto the agenda on a consistent basis? Yeah, I think what, good, good for me has a number uh, of different pillars to it. So... First of all, it is um, as, a, as a leader and, and as a senior leadership team of an organization, it is treating the mental health and well-being of employees as a strategic priority alongside other business imperatives. So for me, the importance of it in the boardroom and at the leadership level, that, that's the first thing. And then if you decide to make it a priority, the good will look like an, a number of different aspects. So creating awareness and destigmatizing mental ill health. So creating a culture where people feel more comfortable saying, hey, I've got depression, anxiety, or something more complicated. And a lot of that will be kind of in storytelling. So the the, the best companies will have some of their C levels talking about the fact that they've 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 struggled, they've had a challenge. And that's kind of what the inside out leaderboard is all about. So we've got role models at a senior level. We've got an awareness raising campaign. And then if we're getting people talking about their their mental health, it's then around um, offering resources and support, both in terms of people who are struggling. So in-house counsellors, employee assistance programmes, etc., but also resources that help people navigate the promotion of positive mental health and well-being. 
And, and I think then if we can start looking at that kind of positive promotion and prevention of people getting ill, and that might be, you know, a literacy program around the benefits of exercise or stress management or nutrition, then we're really reaching into as many of as our, our employees as possible. So I think it's got aspects of all those three of awareness, support and, and prevention or promotion. So where are you sort of seeing the status of uh, the world or at least maybe the UK or where, where you're, I guess, sort of ingrained the most around what we're dealing with right now? I mean, so are you seeing that this is a, a, an issue that's coming up more often? Is, is mental illness at, at work suddenly at the forefront or is it being pushed back again because of the pandemic? You know, what, what are you seeing? Yeah, I, th- I think it's the reverse. And I think the pandemic is a, is a really good opportunity to elevate the importance of the mental health and well-being agenda. Um, so more forward thinking organisations realised very quickly that they needed to get front and centre around the well-being of employees. So I remember for one of the the big four accounting firms at the start of lockdown for their Middle East business, I was on their second all hands call to 6,000 people with their CEO and, and mental health and well-being got as much airtime as how to carry on doing business as usual. And so I think there's that real kind of impetus that the, the pandemic is giving. I've also seen good examples of organisations realising, hey, our employees are struggling. We need to do more on mental health and well-being. What should we do? So I've, I've been working with a lot of organisations like that. I think caveating it, what we've got to be careful of is that we, because we're going to face an economic crisis as well as the, the the pandemic itself, that actually the budgets for investing in mental health and well-being are protected. And that's that's my big worry is that, you know, when things get tight, we we stop investing in you know, improving the mental health and well-being of employees. But so far, Chris, the signs are good in that it's creating a, a level of interest in, in supporting employees because, frankly, they're going to need it, both in terms of the direct impact of the the uh, pandemic on anxiety and uncertainty, the psychological safety in returning to the physical workplace, and and you know even things like survivors' guilt, where redundancies have been made, but you know you've survived as an employee. So there's a lot of different aspects that are, that organisations need to look at. I think. Yeah, absolutely, and I I noticed a really good uh, initial thought around. We need to, employers saying, hey, we need to help. Uh, our employees, we need to help our customers, we need to help people deal with all this stress and, and anxiety because of what an unprecedented moment in, in our history it was, at least for anyone who's alive today, is maybe very few have seen such times. Um, yeah. And so, you know, to kind of go back and say, we need to first deal with everyone's mental health and the, and, and all of that was, was really great to see. I mean, I, I did in something like 20 days, 30 webinars for different companies and organizations, everything from Ikea to the NHS in the UK. I mean, just everyone saying, can you just pop on for 30 minutes and tell us five things we need to know to help us like stop freaking out um, around remote work. So they were really sending people home and that was just this big concern about how are people going to do this? And so that part was really good. I'm I'm a little concerned because I haven't seen that carry on for too long. And so maybe they've just internalized it and made it part of their process, or maybe they're, you know, it was in front of their face and now it's, it's kind of gone away. So are there things that we need to think about doing that maybe could be good practice for us on a, to help, I guess, keep this in the forefront, right? Keep this on a consistent level 
Yeah, I think I think well, you you make the the, the the point there a consistent level, and too often with mental health and well-being, we mark the awareness day, so Mental Health Awareness Month in May in the US, and week in the UK, and World Mental Health Day in October, and we do nothing in between. So so for me, a rolling program of literacy and awareness raising, um, and, and and actually checking in with employees is really important. Yeah, Qualtrics did some research early on in the pandemic to, and 40% of people said that their employer hadn't asked them how they're doing. And so for me, I think good practice right now are finding ways, particularly when our workforce is remote um, and particularly when our workforce will have you know, fears around psychological safety and returning to the physical workplace, we need to find ways and a language to ask people how they're doing. And so for me, this is where I'm really passionate about the, the form score idea that I use. So, Chris, I give myself a score out of 10 every day on my mental health. Today, I'm a 7 out of 10, which means good form. Uh, a 5 out of 10 would be poor form. And, and I track my own form like this. But what I found is people are much more comfortable answering the question, how are you today, with a number out of 10, than they might be saying, I've got anxiety or I'm feeling isolated or whatever it might be. So companies using this sort of idea of providing a new language to check in with their employees on mental health, I think can be very powerful because as we change and and progress to whatever the world looks like post the pandemic, the mental health will be will be stretched at each um, each each part of that journey, and if we can find a way to check in, that that's really helpful because then we can act if people are feeling you know, a bit low because of what's going on. So how how can uh, this uh, this form score that you talked about? How can organizations use this? What what sort of the that application look like? Yeah, so there's there's a set of ten questions um, that, that go into it, and it's all around things like how have you slept, what's your exercise been like, how are you balancing stress with moments of recovery, what's your sense of purpose, and, and so it's ref- reflecting on these questions, using them in team meetings and check-ins, and then inviting people to share how they're feeling with a, with a score out of 10. It's really exciting. We're about to release uh, Form the app, um, and that should be out there in the, uh, the, the Apple App Store in, um, in August, where it allows people to track their scores, but also connect with colleagues and friends and family so you can then offer peer support. If, you know, if we were connected and I saw you were a four, I'd reach out and say, hey, what's going on, Chris? You know, do you want to talk about anything? It's, it's facilitating that peer support via the app. Right. Well, you know, I, I guess I, I'm wondering if your thoughts on, you know, for managers and leaders to effectively communicate with, I guess, in the organization, is it a matter of doing your best job? Is it a matter of communicating at the highest level and, and really being a student of communication and listening and all of that, that will then foster a better environment for anybody in the workplace? Or is there a role there for leaders to say, I need special training or I need a special understanding to help those people who may be dealing with, with some form of mental illness uh, as sort of as, as a secondary group that needs a, a different approach or, or a different understanding. Where do you kind of sit on that spectrum? Yeah, I, I, th- I think we need aspects of both. So for me, I think what's really important in senior leader communication right now is a level of empathy, a level of vulnerability, authenticity. So the great example, and there's been a few, but the the CEO of the Marriott Hotels Group, um, early on in lockdown, there's, there's a, a video that went viral on Twitter of just how he communicated to 
to his people about what is going on and the fact that he didn't have all the answers and the fact that it was hurting him as well. And I think we need to see that level of openness, honesty and authenticity from our senior leaders. But I think you're right. Um, at the kind of line manager level, one of the great opportunities to improve on the mental health agenda is line manager training. So line managers then can feel comfortable in having that conversation with somebody that might be struggling because the other problem with stigma it makes us fearful of having those conversations and uncomfortable in doing so and some very basic line manager training can really help with that and then you're starting to foster a culture that is more open where mental health is concerned but I think it does take strong communication and open communication at the top level but then cascading down through the line manager grades. Yeah, and I don't know if I would label this, quote unquote, you know, a mental illness, but it does feel like every bad interaction at work with difficult people, with employees that are struggling, there's some level of anxiety or stress or depression or maybe a lack of psychological safety, right? And and so not, not that that, that person would be diagnosed something or not, but as a very basic level, it's like if we can uncover what's going on there, we can generally unravel a lot of what's you know kind of tripping us up inside of work or inside of managing people. Now, if we can't and it's deeper than that, then there may be a conversation about going, I think, into the places you're talking about. Um, it's sort of a, 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 a tiered or a stepped approach is, you know, can, can we rectify this with the person? Can we create a better environment? Can, can we have a better way to communicate? Uh, and if that's, if we're still struggling, then we need to move into something deeper. D- do you agree with that, or is there another way to think about it? I, I do agree with it, but I think you you have to look at the the whole person. So, uh, uh, you know, a person could have a mental health challenge for reasons that are nothing to do with work, or a person can be experiencing a high degree of stress and burnout that will lead to a mental health challenge because of work. And so, for me. It's around creating the culture that is open enough to uncover that, to then understand what is the role of the the manager in the workplace in, in, in helping mitigate. And sometimes, actually, if we can do that, we'll uncover an issue that the person might be in the wrong job or there's a relationship that's adversely affecting them or, or actually that, that they need some training or whatever it might be. At other times, it might be they're going through a divorce or a difficult relationship or abuse at home or have got a a long-standing underlying condition that they haven't felt enabled to talk about. But as soon as we can get this out in the open, we can then separate the performance issue with the underlying mental health challenge. Because I think too often, because of the stigma, people are labelled as underperforming and then put onto performance management. But actually, we haven't got to the the root of the problem. So for me, it's it's about creating that open culture that allows that to, to happen. So I think... It's, it's a bit of both, but for me, it's looking at the person holistically that's really important. Yeah, and, and I think we need to really think about all types of people, not just, you mentioned the underperformers, but we have people who overwork, and they're doing that because they have some other issue that's unaddressed. We yeah. have people that are high performers, that are maybe making all of their numbers or meeting their goals, but they're also pissing everybody off at work, right? They're, they're, they're oh, you know, it's too much. They maybe you know value the organization on one end, but they're really a detriment on the other end. So, you know, I think we have to think about as leaders, it's not just that person who we expected A and instead we got B and we're disappointed. And maybe there's a reason we need to to work with them. But there's also other people that are just uh, impacting our organizations in a really negative way, despite 
their performance, right? Despite their work ethic, despite how much they may be providing to an organization. And, and I often think that's often where we, uh, is the hole for me. It's the place where I don't see much attention because it's like, well, we're getting all this out of them. I guess we just keep letting them, you know, start fires over there on that one side. As long as they're bringing in their sales numbers, I'm okay with them pissing everyone else off in, in operations, right? And causing these, these major issues or whatever. So, it, it, you know, do, do, do you see that same sort of kind of lack of attention on those types of people? And, 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 and what, what should we be thinking about with, with someone like that? Well, well, for me, Chris, this raises a, a pretty big issue, and that issue is on how are we measuring success in our organizations? And are we, um, are we measuring that by return on shareholder value and profit? Or is there an element of doing the right thing, creating a place that people can thrive in and, and the, 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 the people are happy and have positive well-being? So I think that in that example you gave, often we reward you know, the numbers and, and the success in, in monetary terms as good behaviours. But if that person is pissing everybody else off and causing psychological damage around them, then that should be addressed. But it comes to me back to the point of, what sort of workplace do we want to create? And I think if this pandemic is going to give us anything, we will demand better places to work where there's good work, where we feel psychologically safe, where we can thrive and be happy. And, and I'm not sure that often goes hand in hand with the pure pursuit of, of shareholder value. So what, what sort of challenges and what sort of opportunities are you seeing that we may need to address from, from the perspective of what you're focusing on uh, around returning to work. I mean, there are people that will be coming back. I'm certainly an advocate for more remote work, but I mean, there are positions, there are people that will be going back, whether it's full-time or part-time or some of the time. So what should we be thinking about uh, to ensure that our people come back healthy and happy? Well, I think we have a great opportunity, Chris. You know, I think that there are there are some people that are desperate to get back to the the office, right? They're, they're working in a shared accommodation and and might be doing their work from an ironing board because there isn't a spare desk. But there there are other people that have really reconnected with family and found that 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 gain in time to pursue the other activities because they've lost the commute time. So so for me, I think that we we need to connect as humans and social connection is really important. So for me, I'd like to see the physical workplace, the office, as a place where we go to connect, to foster creativity, where we go because something magnificent is happening that day, not just because it's 8.30 on a Monday morning. Um, and we give people choice and we empower people to do their jobs in, in, in a way that is, is best for them. Because I think what people have shown, actually, we've had to trust people to work remotely. And all the numbers will say that the people are being more productive. Now, maybe that's because partly because they're working too hard and not taking enough breaks. But I think people have proved that they can be trusted. So for me, I think this is a wonderful opportunity to reimagine the office and actually giving people the, 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 the power to behave as adults and not children. Yeah, and, and and hopefully, I guess that's what we always want, right, is we want people to act like adults, not children. But what I do find is when we apply too many controls, too much micromanaging, too much sort of unneeded what are you doing and why, which is not really as opposed to like more constructive measurement, right, and constructive understanding of how someone's doing, that we really just see people acting like teenagers. 
Uh, right? Uh, I mean, they're just passive yeah. aggressive teenagers. Well, <laughs> well, well, yeah, because it's like, okay, I, you know, this is what I do. I've been trained to do this. I'm experienced at doing this, and and actually, you're treating me like a teenager and a kid. Where, whereas we should be looking at kind of output and not inputs, and not 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 micromanaging people on the way, and empowering people to to do what they've been hired to do. And I and I think that if anything, lockdown has, has showed us that that can be achieved. Yeah. And I guess if we can maybe come out of this with some deeper understanding and we can come out of this with some more flexible work and and allow people some uh, understanding to, I guess, if they need a moment, right, if they're feeling particularly overwhelmed or stressed, that maybe they could work at home for a few days and still do a great job and not have to come in the office, right? May give us some additional tools, some additional ways in which we can can help people that may be struggling and still get an incredible employee, right? And still have this person who can, can do remarkable work for us uh, and our company. I, I guess I hope that's that's maybe what we might learn out of this pandemic. Uh, I don't know, but I guess we'll see, right? <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, I'm an optimist too, and, and I'm hopeful as well. And I think the organizations that will shine will, will embrace that. Well, Rob, uh, two last quick questions for you. The first one is, is, is there a book you're reading right now or one that you typically suggest that we check out? Yeah, so um, I like to read trashy sci-fi fiction to just completely unwind. But um, I really like Lost Connections as, as uh, by Johan Hari on, on this. And, and I think it's about, it's poignant right now about reclaiming the, the lost connections that we've, you know, the way we live and the way society's evolved to. So I'd, I'd recommend checking that one out. And finally, how can people get a hold of you? How can they find out more about you if they're interested in the work that you do and uh, possibly working with you? Yep. So LinkedIn is a good channel for me. So Rob Stevenson, Stevenson with a PH, you can find me there. Um, and then for my form school projects, uh, so formscore.today is the website. Um, and you can, you can hit me up there as well. Well, Rob, thank you so much for being on the show today. Really appreciate you bringing, well, first of all, that you put your work towards such an important uh, area and that uh, you've come and talked about us today and share with the audience and hopefully they can Go back and and give this some more thought inside their organizations. Fantastic. Thanks for having me, Chris. Thank you. We'll be right back at this quick commercial break uh, with my second guest, Tony Giffen. Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system, or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news? Or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. In case you missed my first guest, uh, Rob Stevenson, you can hear it. Uh, his interview, as long as as well as the one we're about to hear, by making sure you go to subscribe to Talent Talk on iTunes or go to talenttalkradio.com. You can subscribe to Podbean there. And every time we post a new show, you'll get alerted, you'll get notified, and that way you can keep track of of the cool guests that we have on here and make sure you can go back and listen 
and even pause if there's some things you wish you could have had time to take notes on or think about. But if you just want to see the highlights, don't forget you can go to Twitter. You can follow at PeopleG2. Uh, we use that hashtag talent talk, all one word. And we throw the best little one-liners, the book links, book titles, any products or things that we talk about. We put them there in writing so that you can go back and easily have your own little cheat sheet of what we talked about on the show. So let's go ahead and get to my second guest. I'm really excited to talk to Tony Giffen, president and CEO of Goodwill Industries, San Diego County. And uh, so, Tony, welcome to the show today. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for having me. Great to be with you. Yeah, why don't you tell them a little bit about yourself, you know, what's important for us to know about you and the work that you're doing. Well, I'm uh, President and CEO of Goodwill in San Diego. I've been with the organization for 20 years. I'm very passionate about the mission of Goodwill and hope to, to be able to share that and expand on that as we talk this afternoon. I'm married. I have four children, one stepdaughter and uh, two sons and a daughter and five grandchildren, so they keep me very busy as well as all the other activities. And of course, uh, we're extremely busy right now with all the the activity around COVID. So happy to be here with you today. So maybe talk about a little bit about the the mission of of Goodwill San Diego County and, you know, I guess how it's affecting the community. Uh, I'm assuming most people know what Goodwill is, but it might be just helpful for two seconds to explain, you know, the mission and, and, and what you're doing. And maybe how that connects to you personally. You've been there for a very long time, so kind of curious as to, as to what drives you to do that work. Great. Well, you know, our mission of providing training and employment opportunities to people with disabilities and other barriers to employment has always resonated with me. You know, beginning in 1902, Goodwill's founder, Reverend Edgar Helms, believed in serving people with a hand up and not a hand out. And Goodwill San Diego exists to help anyone anyone free of charge uh, with job readiness training, soft skills, and employment opportunities. And I've experienced that, that sometimes people just need someone to believe in them, tell them that they can succeed, and that it's within their power to make significant change. So that's why we exist here in San Diego. I've seen that many, many times through the people that we serve that really it is about when they're ready to make the change, we're here with opportunities to help them do that. You know, we all need opportunities and encouragement. And we're passionate about serving and employing people with intellectual and developmental disabilities, including Down syndrome, autism, attention deficit, hyperactivity, and uh, many other uh, learning disorders. And they're a population that we are happy to serve and, and love doing so. And we also serve those who need assistance in transitioning from one life situation to another. So we help them discover a path to a new beginning, whether they're unsheltered, maybe previously incarcerated, new to the United States, or maybe have never worked before, or transitioning from military to civilian life, or youth who are struggling. You know, we have programs for all of those, so it's really hard sometimes to wrap our mission statement around all the things that we do. and, and the uh, services we provide to the community. In 2019, we served 8,707 individuals, and I'm continually inspired, you know, by the resilience and the strength of the people who come to us for services. For me, it never gets old, witnessing lives changed for the better. Yeah, and and I have seen... Yeah, and I've seen uh, many, many uh, times, uh, I've known many people that have have worked there that have gone through programs through the goodwill 
course, I think a lot of us are used to donating to the Goodwill, uh, even going to Goodwill to find, you know, great at the stores, finding great uh, uh, deals and, and, and things to buy to support the organization. But you know, maybe we could talk a little bit about what it's been like the last few months uh, for Goodwill, you know, I guess specifically for, for, for where you're, I guess, sort of in charge there over in the, for the county of San Diego. You know, I, certainly I imagine there's more people who might have needs. There might be more challenges. At the same time, there may be stores and restrictions and things like that. So what are some of the things that you've been dealing with and how, how, have, how have you been dealing with them? Yeah, well, like many, Chris, it really turned our world upside down. We were so excited as an organization for 2020. We had just come off one of the best years in Goodwill San Diego's 90-year history. And we were looking forward to expanding and achieving our revenue goals to support our mission. And, and then, you know, came COVID in March. January and February were great months for us. And I don't think any of us thought it would go on as long as it did. You know, our initial action was just to even before the governor's mandate was to uh, send our ambassadors home to keep them safe for a few weeks with pay. And and then, you know, we would bring them back and, and everything would be great. And what happened was not that. And as you know, that's not, you know, what happened to anybody in San Diego. So uh, it's not unique to us. But we had to lay off uh, 1,235 of our 1,400 ambassadors. And it was just heartbreaking uh, so we got through that, and our first priority was really training all of those that we retained, about 150 ambassadors. Our employees are called ambassadors, and uh, to support those who were laid off. So each remaining ambassador was a liaison to a group of people, and they helped them apply for their unemployment benefits and subsidies. And we also helped them look for a, a work in an essential business, if that was their desire, because, of course, getting people jobs is a big part of what we do. And financially, it was uh, a tremendous loss. We closed 30 stores, and we lost almost our entire revenue stream, millions of dollars a month. And because, you know, our social enterprise is really what funds our mission, we were providing services, much needed, important services to individuals with disabilities and people needing jobs, and, and our revenue stream was completely cut off. And because we're a large employer in San Diego County, we weren't eligible for the government programs that were out there. So it's been a real challenge for us. And our, our donations are down 42% year-to-date. And you certainly wouldn't think so looking at our donation sites, but what's happening is that we just don't have the capacity to hold the donations that are coming in without an outlet, without being able to sell those donations. They're really stacking up, and that's been um, something that we've had to really work with for the last four months. How do we accept donations? How do we keep areas safe where we have donation containers? And at the same time, where do we put them if we can't sell those donations in our stores? So that's been a challenge. But, you know, fortunately, we're back up and running. Our stores and our clearance centers are open with reduced hours and, of course, all the safety protocol and the PPE we had to buy and, uh, you know, the shields for the uh, cash registers and all the things to keep people safe. But we're projecting that by the end of the year, we'll probably be about $20 million under our projected budget for 2020. So that's a significant hit and, you know, the ability to really um, provide the services that we want to free of charge to people in San Diego is challenged. 
But we've so, rehired 569 of our ambassadors and great. have hired a lot of new people. So we're up to 822 of the 1,400. Well, that's great to hear. And that things are getting better, that you've been able to hire that many people back uh, or a new. Uh, you know, often when when an issue comes up, when, when I guess the world or the market or situations really challenge us as organizations, you know, we kind of really, if we survive and if we, we can do well, we kind of see the true colors of the organization, the real culture, the real values come through. Because kind of everything else gets stripped away down to its, I guess, sort of bare essentials. So, you know, do you, do you, are there some things there that you think kind of really shine through that you might share and maybe talk about how you think the organization's culture really played a part in, in what you've been going through more recently? Oh, you know, I think it was huge, along with establishing our culture, you know, and really ensuring that our leaders exemplify those desired behaviors and attitudes. A few years back, we we really worked on our core values under the leadership of Mike Rowan, who had been our CEO here in Good, at Goodwill San Diego for almost 35 years. And we established uh, three core values. You know, like many organizations, we had a long list of, of values and, and felt that they were important, but no one could really remember all of them, and they didn't resonate uh, true in our operation. They, were, they weren't unique to our culture and our operation and our purpose. So we came up with three core values, credibility. As an organization, we do what we say we will do. Creativity. We are willing to try new ideas in order to improve any aspect of the organization and collaboration. We're different people with different skills who work well together to get the job done. So since that time, we've worked really hard to instill those values into our organization and and our operation and into all the employees that we hire and, of course, the employees that, that we have on staff. And I believe and I'm certain that without the establishment of our culture and our core values, and of course, they are the ones that build the trust and authenticity within the organization, we would not have been uh, able to pivot as quickly as we did uh, during this unprecedented time. It was really we made decisions based on our values, based on our culture, and, you know, it was really our North Star through this that really helped us get through it. And be able to yeah. pivot very quickly. Yeah, I mean, and that was something a lot of organizations, even if they hadn't had any practice pivoting, they had to figure out how to pivot pretty quickly. Uh, and yeah. it sounds like you, you know, for some of us, figuring out the PPP was a challenge in itself. And if you didn't even have that option, try to figure out how, how, to, how to navigate your future and what to do, uh, especially not knowing. I mean, back when we had the, we've had recessions and, we, and 9-11 happened, there's other sort of events in our lives that, we had to deal with, but there always seemed to be like there was a beginning and then we knew, okay, it's going to get better as we go. There's going to be an end to this. Whereas COVID in itself has sort of been a little wishy-washy, right? It comes and it goes uh-huh. and day to day and we don't really seem to have a clear idea when it's going to end and it's hard to plan and to figure things out. So, And every yeah, day is a new challenge. You know, yeah. it, when we were closed, it was challenging. And now that we're open, it's challenging, you know, ensuring that Every customer comes in with a mask and, and, you know, the attitudes around that, we, you know, are in our way. And then how do we keep our employees safe? And what happens if somebody, you know, gets COVID-19? And so with 30 locations, really uh, stores, 30 stores, but over 40 locations in San Diego County, 
that's a major job in itself. It's just keeping people safe and, and monitoring day to day what's happening out there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, um, you know, one of the, one of the things that we love to ask uh, our guests, cause they always give us such awesome, uh, suggestions. Is there a book that you're reading right now or one that you typically suggest people check out? Well, you know, <laughs> I haven't read a book in about four months, but there are, you know, many, um, many books that I've read along the way. And, uh, you know, a lot of our leadership here at uh, Goodwill comes from Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. But, you know, a lot of um, principle-centered leadership, those books are always on my desk, and I refer to them a lot. Leading from the Middle is a book that I, I really enjoy. And so lots of books, lots, as my staff will tell you, I've always got a big book to share, but not a lot of time to read over the last few months. Right, right. And it's funny how many people thought, well, this would be a good time for us to catch up on this or read this book. And then it turned out that <laughs> felt like we were busier. I mean, those of us that were left, right, because some people had to go and some people, uh, you know, whatever it may be. And so it, it was a lot of work left for those uh, who were trying to figure all this out. And it turned out to be not such a... A uh, good time to be doing all those things, which was not what we thought, I right. guess, going into it. So, <laughs> no, I think you know we've been busier than we've ever been, and uh, even though we're a lot of us are working remotely, and I've been working a lot at home, you know, you're twenty four seven. You're thinking about what's the next step, what's the next uh, decision to make. So we've we've been extremely busy, and you know, I will be forever grateful to the leadership team and their can do spirit. And just the ability to, to quickly um, move and uh, motivate people to understand where we're coming from. You know, it was huge, a layoff. And so, um, you know, our managers had to explain that to people that have been with us 25, 30 years. So I will be forever grateful to the wonderful leaders that we had here in the organization. Well, how can people, um, I guess from anywhere, but especially those in San Diego County, how can they support, you know, you and your organization and the work that you're doing? Well, shopping right now, we need people to come into our stores and shop. Uh, it's a, it's a, such a revenue uh, generator for us and, and support of our mission. And we've never really asked for financial contributions, Chris. We've been a, you know, one that really kind of did for our own ourselves. And, and at this time, we could use financial contributions. You know, it's time to help the helper. Um, we've, uh, like I said, we didn't really get any support, government support. We were a, we're a large employer here in San Diego County. So if people are willing and, and feel motivated to give us financial contributions, we can certainly use those at this time, too. We've got loans to pay back, and as you can imagine, just a big hole that we need to, to get out of, and we will. We will. We're a very resilient organization. As I said, we've been here 90 years. Our people are um, really full of passion for our mission and the work that we do, and I have every confidence that we'll come back. But help is always uh, appreciated. And what's the best website for them to go to to do that? They can go to sdgoodwill.org. SD is in San Diego, goodwill.org, and there's a donate button, and they can go right there and contribute. And, of course, donations are always needed, too. Uh, but at this time, we're pretty much at capacity, so if they can hold on to them, uh, maybe just a little bit longer before they bring them to us, but their treasures are what keeps the engine going. Yeah, and 
hopefully some of you out there can go and support them by shopping at their stores. Don't forget to wear your mask. And if not, then and send them a donation. That's certainly doing great work. Um, and besides uh, the ways in which you've been able to support the community, just the opportunities for people who are in some sort of a transition or need some sort of extra assistance. It's been remarkable, remarkable to see the work that Goodwill has done. So hopefully uh, you can continue to carry out that mission for years to come. Oh, Chris, thank you so much for your support and for the opportunity today to share a little bit about Goodwill San Diego. I appreciate it. Fantastic, Tony. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hopefully we can have you come back at some point and give us maybe a good news update. Um, and uh, we'd lo- love to have you do that. That would be my pleasure. All right. Thanks, Thanks everyone, for, for listening to today's show. Hopefully you've gained something that you can uh, use in your own career in a positive way. Until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2. 